Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah! Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm Ty Kersley. And I'm Sarah Germain Lilly. Today's show, Survivor Nation, will move you and connect you firsthand to something you probably already know, but don't think about. We are a nation of gun violence survivors. Gun Violence Survivors Week is planned to coincide with the first week of the year when gun deaths in the U.S. surpass gun deaths in all other pure countries globally each year. Sadly, in the U.S., that happens at the end of January. This from Everytown Survivor Network's website, gun violence in any form leaves an indelible mark on the lives of those who are personally impacted. We are, in fact, a nation of survivors. Almost two-thirds of American adults, or someone they care for, have personally experienced gun violence. Gun violence is now the leading cause of death for children and teens in America. Among Black and Latinx Americans, nearly 70% of American adults, or someone they care for, have personally experienced gun violence in their lifetimes. Today, we're hearing from Vincent Perez of the Everytown Survivors Network, who lost his fiancée, Shane, and Sandy and Lonnie Phillips, who lost their daughter, Jessica, in the Aurora, Colorado movie theater shooting. Thanks to Sean Stefanik for contributing our In Memoriam for Jessica. In memory of Jessica Gowie. Jessica Gowie was killed in the Aurora, Colorado shooting that occurred on July 20th, 2012. Gowie was one of 12 people killed. She was 24 and was establishing herself as an up-and-coming sports journalist in the Colorado area. She covered the Colorado Avalanche for The Fan 104.3, a sports radio station, did production work for Altitude Sports, which was a Denver TV network, and wrote about hockey for various blogs. She was initially into dancing, acting, and writing, and she would go through a stretch of time where she dyed her hair a strip of pink and went to concerts to listen to bands such as the Plain White Tees and the All-American Rejects. Sports didn't enter the picture until the end of high school when she started dating a boy she met at an SAT prep class. She was kind of this punk rock girl, said ex-boyfriend John Patrick. She didn't know she loved sports, but we had season tickets to the Spurs and we were really big on college football and we were always watching some game or another. She'd come over and we'd watch. We kind of got her into it. It would seem rather suddenly that Gowie decided to try sports journalism. She turned herself into Jessica Redfield, Redfield being her maternal grandmother's maiden name. She blogged, she tweeted, she wrote, and she networked. She was fired from restaurant jobs for taking off too many days to go to games, and she lasted about four hours once as a bartender. But soon enough, she was in the locker room wearing a red dress and interviewing hockey players. Jessica and her close friend, Brent Lowack, were sitting in the middle of the theater on the day of July 20th, 2012. About 30 minutes into the movie The Dark Knight Rises, police say, the perpetrator, James Holmes, threw tear gas into the audience and started shooting. Gowie screamed between shots for someone to call 911. 
she was shot six times by an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle, first above her right knee, according to the coroner. Lowak applied pressure to her leg before looking up and seeing what appeared to be an entry wound in her head. She was unresponsive. Her death has changed everything in the lives of all who knew her. Her parents now work for the Brady campaign to prevent gun violence. And her friends take more risks moving for new jobs and going on vacations they've always wanted to take, yet they still find themselves scrolling through her old tweets or her Facebook photos, clinging to memories and always dreading the yearly anniversary. Her death leaves behind a legacy of love as it still brings friends together and loved ones together even now, years later. We remember you today, Jessica Gowie. Thank you, Sean. And thank you, Sandy and Lonnie. We are so sorry for your loss. Next up, Ty Kersley brings us an interview with Sandy and Lonnie Phillips, Jessica's parents. Well, first, let me welcome you to Radio Gag. We have uh, Sandy and Lonnie Phillips from Survivors Empowered. Uh, we'd love for our listeners to know more about your organization. Well, our organization started several years ago. Um, we had been affected by Jesse's death, of course, um, back in 2012. And she was killed at the Aurora Theater Massacre at the Batman movie uh, premiere and along with 11 others and 70 wounded. Uh, it was big news at the time. Um, and five months later, Sandy Hook happened. And we responded to Sandy Hook uh, as uh, you know, just wanting to help them in any way we could. And seeing the, the shock and the devastation on the parents' faces, um, I knew immediately that this is what we needed to be doing for the rest of our lives. Um, we, we know what that felt like. We remembered and seeing them reminded us of we looked just like that five months ago. So what can we do to help these people? And the organization just kind of grew from that desire to help others um, navigate through those first shocking waves of grief and uh, devastation. And then on into finding a way for these people to find hope and uh, deal with their grief and find solutions to the PTSD that most survivors suffer from and depression and anxiety. So our organization has continued to morph from uh, not only responding, but now providing resources to survivors and making sure that uh, they have the ability to tap into mindfulness classes uh, to tap into a, a new, in fact, it's going live next week. We partnered with Giffords uh, and developed a uh, toolkit for survivors who want to know what, what do I do next? What happens now? Where do I go? What, what services are there? Uh, how do I find a trauma therapist uh, versus a grief therapist? Um, um, not knowing where to turn is is really the the first thing that happens. We were in Texas. Jesse was killed in Colorado, and we were sitting there going, well, what, "What do we do? Do we get on an airplane? Do they call us? Do we do we really know, in fact, that she's dead, even though old he was?" All those questions just you know whirl 
around you and um, make the situation even harder to, to deal with. So what we found out, I think that covered a lot of ground, but after the, um, the Aurora shooting, Sandy and I were really surprised that we didn't have the laws we thought we had. We weren't up on it. We were gun owners, we're Republicans from Texas. So, and we weren't really very uh, particularly, uh, what you would say, political to people that were interested in politics. But after the uh, five months after uh, our shooting happened, we tried to get uh, anyone to talk to us about it. I mean, that was during the uh, President of uh, Obama and uh, that's when they was they were having the presidential debates and they wouldn't even bring up gun control. So we were shocked that we couldn't just go out and get this law changed where somebody could go buy an AR-15 out of the trunk of a car legally. That was just beyond us. So right away, we were going to get that changed. You know, we were going to go to Congress and we were going to raise hell and we were going to get that changed. Well, 10 years later, we have had no federal regulations. So that was kind of uh, when Sandy Hook happened, we said, well, they wouldn't listen to us, but they're really going to listen to after 20 babies were killed, we're going to get this changed. We were shocked. We were sitting in the gallery when the vote was 54 to 46. And we found out that because of the filibuster rule, which I never heard of before, wouldn't allow that change. And that's the reason we can't get change is because we have been blocked uh, by a Republican Congress in control. And I'm saying, you know, we uh, voted Republicans. We never- We don't after anymore. Sandy, after Sandy Hook and after that vote came down, uh, we don't vote Republican. Uh, so that's where we are politically, personally. But as an organization, we are bipartisan. We help Republicans and Democrats alike, yeah. equal. Well, I think that's the, the point is that you're trying to make is that we have to touch everyone from the, the bottom up. And uh, I want to hear more about these toolkits and your tour. Well, the, the meeting people where they're at is so important. Um, as gun owners, we, we always, you know, whenever we're having a conversation with someone, it starts off, well, we're gun owners, owners too. I took the NRA class when I was 10 years old and it was a very different organization back then. Most people don't even know how the NRA has morphed into this political machine that does not have people's best interest. Um, they're just concerned about their bottom line. Um, we've also discovered that that people in their own states don't realize that laws are different from state to state. And they, they always throw up, well, you know, Illinois has strict gun laws, but look at Chicago. Well, yeah, they're trafficking guns across the border from Indiana and other states that have either zero gun laws or very loose gun laws. So the need for national laws, um, just keeps coming back because in, in, until you make the strongest case for common sense gun laws in states like California, Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, um, until every other state 
is honoring gun ownership in the same way, then you're weakening all gun laws. It's just a vicious cycle. What, what actually in, inspired you to actually travel then? Well, um, <laughs> it's backstory here. Uh, after Jesse's death, there we knew that there was going to be a trial. Um, and we started asking questions, you know, how long is this going to take, da, 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 da. And everyone was telling us it would be about three years before we had a trial. So for me, it was incredibly important that I was in that courtroom every day representing not only our daughter, Jesse, but for those who couldn't be in attendance every day of the trial, we were going to represent the survivors and the survivor families of those who were killed. So um, we rented out our house and we bought a camper and we took off for Denver and we were lucky enough to find a driveway we could park on and it was literally five minutes from the courthouse. And um, after the trial was over, which took almost four months. Yeah, four and a half months. Four and a half months. Um, when the trial was over, we just kind of looked at each other and said, I kind of like this style of living, small living. Um, and this gives us the ability to work with the survivors and the wounded in America and meet them face to face. Uh, one of the things that we we realized when we were going through the trial, um, when the wounded were there to speak and to tell their stories and to um, get to know them on a very personal level, one-on-one, -on -one, uh, our hearts just really went out to the wounded in America. And for every one that is killed in America, there are two that are wounded and survive, but nobody thinks about them ever again. It's like, well, you know, in our case, 70 were wounded. Oh, well, whatever happened to them? You know, well, we know what happens to them and we know their struggles. And sometimes it's not just physical struggles, it's emotional struggle and it's financial struggle. So, um, they're being ignored in America. So our fight is not just because we had a daughter taken by gun violence. Our fight is because there are so many people living in our country who have been affected by this that nobody sees. They've become invisible. So part of this, um, after living on the road for seven years now, part of this tour being that it's 2022, we're going to 20 states and 22 cities. It'll be more than that by the time we finish, but that's what's on the books. And our job is to connect with the grassroots organizations in those cities and states and work with them to find out exactly what it is they're doing, what their struggles are, who they work with as far as survivors and the wounded, and then help them to connect with other states through organizations and to start forming a very loose knit but to start forming a coalition. So if I'm working on something in California and so-and-so might be working on something uh, in let's say uh, uh, Wisconsin, um, we've put them together, we've networked for them and they now know each other and they can have those calls 
personally and say, hey, we just did this. Would you be interested in developing that same kind of program in Wisconsin or Louisiana or Maine? And so we're growing our voices by doing that. Um, and we, we, we got very tired of speaking to the choir, as they say. You know, people in the gun violence prevention movement, we all know each other in some way or another, and we are all willing to work with each other. But getting lawyers, um, DAs, um, doctors, nurses, teachers, getting them involved in the conversation and having them listen to what the reality in their state is, and then the reality on a national level, what that reality is like. Um, I think can get more people involved in the movement and get more people um, caring about this issue because it seems like this is the one strange issue in America that you just don't care about until it happens to you. It didn't start out that way. When your question was what got us on this trail, this track, this particular thing that we're doing now with this tour. We started out by <clears throat> after um, Columbine, it was like, it was a very long time before Aurora happened. Five months after Aurora happened, Sandy Hook happened. A few months after that, other shoot, mass shootings started to happen and we started traveling then. So we would go to these sites personally, sometimes days after, depending on where we were and how long it took us to get there and whether we had to fly in or we drove. We have been to 18 public mass shootings. Well, I love your approach and how you are so multi-pronged with grassroots organizations, but also with focusing on professional organizations. Why isn't the UFT out there lobbying? My uh, big teachers union, teachers unions all over. I've just joined a, a teacher advocacy gun violence prevention group, but doctors, lawyers, social workers, these are the people who, as you say, you know, are on the front lines dealing with these problems and see uh, the survivorship of our whole country that we're all survivors of gun violence. And these organizations also have clout in lobbying Congress. So yes, they do, and it's uh, it is. I think we, as a a movement we've kind of gotten locked into depending on each other to um, bounce ideas off of and to do events and all of the things that are important. But we haven't been real good about reaching out to others who we know are affected um, and, and like teachers, like doctors. Now we're beginning to see a, a change, a shift, which is really good. Uh, Northwell in New York has gotten very involved in the gun violence prevention movement. We actually started a mindfulness class for survivors of gun violence um, with UCSD, uh, University of California, San Diego. And uh, we had people from all over the country that were able to go through the mindfulness classes with UCSD because of Zoom and because of COVID. So it actually, that part actually worked to our benefit. And we're starting another one this, this coming February, just in a couple of weeks, a new one starting. And uh, this time we're hoping to have over a hundred participants from all over the country 
with the idea that they will continue on to the next class and become certified to become teachers and become violence preventers, violence interrupters, and violence healers in their own communities. So um, it's a big, big challenge and one that we're we're looking forward to because we think it's well, we've seen the benefit of mindfulness in, in our community. You're listening to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show here on listener-sponsored commercial-free radio, WBAI 99.5. We are here every Tuesday at 2.30 p.m. bringing you the latest in gun violence prevention movement news. And now the Radio Gag gun violence prevention news with Shep Wannan. President Joe Biden will come to New York City and meet with Mayor Eric Adams next week to discuss combating gun violence. Biden and Adams plan to discuss the administration's comprehensive strategy to combat gun crime, which includes historic levels of funding for cities and states to put more cops on the beat and invest in community violence prevention and intervention programs, as well as stepped up federal law efforts against illegal gun trafficking. Adams added that public safety in the nation's largest city is his administration's chief priority. The presidential visit comes after two New York City police officers were killed by gunfire in Harlem last week. And Adams announcing a gun violence prevention plan that includes reviving a plainclothes police unit to take more guns off the streets. And the U.S. Supreme Court is expected to issue a ruling between now and June to decide whether New York laws that require an established need for gun permits are constitutional. Up next, Vincent Perez of Everytown Survivors Network. Good afternoon, listeners. We're here on Radio Gag, and it's Gun Violence Survivors Week. We are talking to Vincent Perez. Vincent is a senior survivor fellow with Everytown Survivor Network. So welcome to the show, Vincent. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, would you share with us your story of loss. Yeah. Um, and so in 2018, I lost my fiance, best friend to gun violence, um, a block away from the new home that we had just purchased. And it's quite unfortunate because the year previously around Christmas time, I actually just had proposed to him. We both got into graduate school with one another. So he was going to Northwestern. I was going to go to USC. Um, and we had looked at homes down in Evanston and we bought a home. And next thing you know, like a week later we had closed and he was flying out to Chicago and within 30 minutes of him landing in Chicago and getting home, someone shot and killed him. It's difficult for me to comprehend, you know, exactly the, the last few years actually because of the amount of trauma that I've experienced um but it's been a journey i'm not gonna lie like even now when i think about you know how i lost him i don't process it because you know there's a lot of trauma in in terms of identifying the love of your life you know like i will never forget that experience and that expression and it, it it haunts me to this day and i have severe ptsd from it but you know when i lost shane life was 
kind of amazing. You know, things were going so well. He got into his doctoral program at Northwestern University. He was on a full scholarship. And it just, it still doesn't make sense to me to this day because he's a cancer survivor. He comes from a single family home. Like, I, I still just can't process that I lost him um, even to this day. It's, it freaking sucks. I'm so sorry that he was taken away from you. And I'm so glad to hear about your love. It does lift us up to hear about it. So we want to know how you first got involved or came to know about every town. Yeah. Um, so I lost Shane on September 2nd, 2018. And I don't know, for those of you who have lost someone in the same manner or just in general, grief shuts you down um and something that I, I do want to bring up is i come from a latin background not everyone has the same experience as me but traditionally from in my family at least um if you're a male you don't express emotion it's like you kind of bear grin and bear it and kind of show that you're the strongest one in the family and because of these cultural norms i felt like i had to do that i had to be the strong one i had to plan things i had to carry this weight and this this, I don't want to call it a burden, but this emotional baggage because everyone was grieving. And I remember just walking through a day. It's like, there were photos of that day that I can't, I can't even look at because you can see how lifeless I am um, kind of navigating through the world. And during this time, I'm, it's quite beautiful that he is still loved in this manner because people are still holding ceremonies for him, like honoring him or doing these events. And I remember going to like six different funerals. So we did one in Northwestern. We did one at Columbia University where he was doing his pre-doctoral program. We did one at San Francisco State. We did one in San Clemente and at the church. We did so, so many things to honor him. Um, and I remember like during this time of traveling to New York, to Southern California, to the Bay Area, it was like nonstop. And on top of that, it's a homicide case. So we had to go identify him, which is the most awful thing I've ever had to experience because you never want to see anyone you love in that state. And it's horrifying. Um, but I, I, I remember distinctly a friend of mine named Lily Dobertine texting me one day saying, you know, I know you're not ready, but when you're ready, you should apply to work with this organization. And she's very involved in politics in some way or form. She likes to, you know, get back to the community. And she's like, you need to do this and share your story. And I'm sitting there like, no, like, absolutely not. Like, I don't, you don't do that in my culture. Like you, you kind of sit in your, in your, in your stew and you kind of bear through it. And I, I remember listening to this I don't know what it was. I think either a podcast or I was, I was going to the website and saying, I can't do this. This is not for me. This is not what I want to do um, because it's so intimate. Like, why am I going to share my story? Like, this is, this is my experience. Like, why am I going to broadcast that out? And lo and behold, it's probably the best decision for me to get involved in my life because it sucks to grieve alone. It's hard to... <laughs> It's hard to process this in a silo, especially with the, the way it happens, because it's, it's so traumatic and there's grief and there's loss and there's processing. And then there's like these other things going on, friends getting married. So to have this backing of an organization with 
a community of individuals who really truly you really understand was probably the best thing because i remember going to like a coffee chat one day and explaining my grief and my loss and they're like oh yeah we've been there like and i like snapped and i was like someone actually understands like someone who really understands what i'm going through and my loss and my trauma and i felt seen and heard and I got involved to share my story or to get involved and change legislature in some way or form, but I never thought that I would have this strong of a community um, kind of holding me up at all times. So I got involved to honor my partner and to ensure that we make a change. I want to be that catalyst for change because it starts really with the individual sharing our stories. Great. We know that people are listening and we know that people want to help. Um, it seems overwhelming, the problem of gun violence in America. So what can people do to save lives and to prevent injuries from gun violence? So at minimum, what people can do honestly is vote. Like that is your, your right as a United States citizen. And if you can't vote, get involved in some way or form. I can't stress that enough, especially since, you know, considering the climate of politics right now, like your vote does matter, you know, and if you don't want to vote or you're already voting and you want to do more, get involved. It doesn't matter what it is. Like if you want to join your kids PTA meetings, perfect. If you want to go donate clothing or go to a church, like do something that's going to benefit the community. But if you feel so inclined or have been affected by gun violence or want to make an impact around gun legislation, Every town is the way to go because you're able to directly see an impact by sharing your story or to doing a call bank. I can't stress that enough. Like if you are able to get involved, it doesn't have to be every town, honestly. You find what makes sense to you and how you want to be involved. But you as an individual have to realize that you are part of a community that can impact change. And it starts with you and you can be that catalyst for change and be you know, that person to start you know, that rock to move a little bit further. Like that is the most important thing you can do. Take an initiative, do something about it. Thank you so much, Vincent, for being with us today. And I've got to tell you that your love for Shane is evident and it it's, it's really pervading what you do. And it's going to have an impact on other people too and helping us to change this horrible epidemic of gun violence. So thanks for your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. To find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at gazeagainstgunsny on Facebook and Instagram or gag no guns on Twitter. Also, be sure to check out our website to learn more about our meetings and actions. Come to a meeting here in New York. We meet one Thursday a month at 7 p.m. on Zoom and in person at the LBGT Center on 13th Street, where we'll be planning all kinds of great action and protests. So please join us. Everybody is welcome at any and all gag events. So, fellow survivors, your monthly contribution of $5 to $25 can really help keep Radio Gag on the air here at WBAI to keep the issue of gun violence in front of the public and our elected officials. 
Just go to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950 and become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. Thank you. So now it's time to finish our show. Thanks for listening. And we are back next Tuesday and every Tuesday at 2.30 p.m. Watch out for our Valentine's Day Parkland two-hour special. We'll hear from family members and survivors of the shooting and comments from elected officials. And don't forget, you can always listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform where you can find extended interviews this week with Sandy and Lonnie Phillips. And thanks to our Radio Gag team and Sean Stefanik. I am Sarah Germaine Lilly, and special thanks to Josh Miller and Emily Miller of Everytown for Gun Safety. And SurvivorsEmpowered.org. Learn more about their Honor With Action Tour. Thanks for listening, and have a great and safe day.